So welcome to the Do More Good podcast, season three. All good things come in threes, don't they, Kenny? Of course they do. Three musketeers, little pigs, triangles, your degree. <laughs> we should probably know what we're doing by now, right? You'd think so. There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work because it pays off in the end. Making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership. It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock-up. Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. <laughs> I think the, the message is... Do more good. Yeah! Okay, here we are, James. So we've got a, an exciting guest with us today. Unfortunately, we've made a bit of a mistake in regards to the venue, but we're doing all right, and we found a pub. We've snuck around the corner and find ourselves a, uh, another watering hole, so another we're fine. Watering you've got hole. a couple of beers. You're happy. We've got a couple of beers. So it's something a little different for us this week. So our guest joins us from the creative agency side of the charity spectrum, which is exciting. So after studying advertising and marketing at university, our guest worked through a number of agencies working across above the line, planning with brands such as Comedy Central and Ella's Kitchen before joining Redwed, a top creative agency. And after stints at WeClick Media and Thinking Juice, she joined Three Sided Cube in 2013 and now has the illustrious title of Chief Changemaker. Love that. Love that title. And so her years of agency experience working with large brands and a number of charities make her the perfect guest to answer some of those questions regarding future trends, the mobile first approach, and how charities are working with ag- agencies to help deliver on their missions. So we'd like to welcome Puff Story to the Do More Good podcast. <laughs> how are Thank you doing? Thank you. Wow. What an intro. What an intro. <laughs> I feel like first question, uh, we've got to address it. You know, it's the elephant in the room. What's uh, what's with the name Puff? Puff, okay. So it's an affectionate nickname um, coined by my dear husband. Oh. Apparently, I get quite huffy puffy. <laughs> and I was introduced to our founder as Puff. And you know what? That nickname stuck. And however many years later, I'm still using it. So We'll, we'll do our best to get you huffy puffy <laughs> on, the, on the show. Kenneth, um, any nicknames from your past? Oh, I, I um, we've just talk, been talking a little bit before we started recording. I can't even say that on this podcast. That sounds terrible because it needs an explanation. I think you can. Yeah. Soup. Soup. <laughs> Belter. What was yours? Full of man. Terrible date. Terrible date gone wrong in the evening standard. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's one for another day. So, Puff, thanks a lot for coming along. We really appreciate your time and for us messing up on the venue. But... Um, <laughs> Please tell us a bit more about your career today. What led you into the world of the agency side, to working for a number of different agencies, working on award-winning apps, campaigns, and and, and ultimately, I guess, working a lot with the social good sector? Okay, so um, I guess, look, I started out at uni studying advertising and marketing at Bournemouth University. And that came about from my teachers at school. They said I'd be good at media. And it just kind of, it really interested me at the time. And then post-uni, I got a job at a creative agency in New York, and I was just mesmerized. I loved everything. So I loved first, the people. Your first gig was to Yeah, to first New York. gig was in New York at the tender age of like 19, 20. Wow. Like I was super young. 
and I was getting self-interested <laughs> in reviews about first dates <laughs> in the Evening Standard at that age. <laughs> there you are in New York. Not old enough to drink, wow. might oh, I add, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the pace. So it was really fast-paced. And But I think I got on... I, I love the creativity, but I'm, I didn't feel like I was a creative person. Like, I like the strategic planning side. So I came back to, um, back to the UK and got a job at a media planning agency in London. And uh, it was Zenith Optimedia. And I got to work with some amazing brands, like you guys have mentioned, Comedy Central, MTV, Ella's Kitchen. And it was just awesome. You know, 2021... I had a great time partying in London, meeting some amazing people, going to some amazing places. But I think I just got to a point where I was like, I need a bit more. And it suddenly became very focused on money and how much you were earning. And, you know, at the age of 24, 25, you want a bit more out of life. And I started to become really interested in digital and technology. And... I was also dating my now husband who um, was in Bournemouth and I stupidly thought I could commute from Bournemouth to London every day and that just didn't work for me. And then I just took the plunge and got a job at a digital agency in Bournemouth, Red Web, and I had a very steep learning curve. So I got to grips with websites and how people go about designing and building websites. And you know what? I loved it. The pace was amazing. It was. It felt like I was working in London. I had was working with some big clients, but again, I just felt like I needed more. I got headhunted to go back into advertising, so did another stint in advertising for a couple of years. But by then, I got married and I'd had my first child, and I think, you know, I was at a very different life stage. And suddenly, the agency model it didn't feel like it was working for me. I couldn't commit to working full time. I was trying to juggle being married and having a very young child and I just couldn't juggle it. So I, in a random moment, went to visit my husband at his office and Duncan, uh, our founder at Three Sided Cube, he uh, was renting office space from my husband and I just popped in with my eldest daughter, Arabella, and he was... I was helping him. He, he had a proposal on screen and I was like, that's terrible. Don't do that. What are you doing? That's really bad. And he was like, what are you talking about, Puff? Like, no, you do it like this. I was like, you don't do it like this. I've worked agency side for a long time. This is how you do it. This is what you need to do. And I think the next day he was like, Puff, you need to come work for me. And I was like, I'm not working for a friend. I don't want to do that. That's a big risk. You've just started a business. I don't think we can. I don't, that's not going to work for me. And, yeah, I've been working for him ever since. He taught me around. I think, really, ultimately, it was the offer of flexible working. And it was just not a thing in Bournemouth. So I'm located in Bournemouth. And the opportunity... The the New York of the South. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's Silicon South. That's a thing. That is a term. I've heard that. It's one of the fastest growing tech hubs of the UK, Bournemouth and Paul. So, yeah, it's booming. And... The flexible working approach, it just hadn't been done. Duncan really opened my eyes and gave me an opportunity I couldn't say no to. And yeah, I've been there ever since and I love it. Yeah, that flexible that flexible working thing is, is um, it's quite a draw, isn't it? If you're allowed to work around 
absolutely i think it's more common now but if you think about it you know seven eight years ago it just wasn't really a thing and if you i always say he took a massive risk offering me what he offered me i was a working mum and i just think now these like working parents they're massive assets to any business it doesn't matter whether you're working part-time if you're offered flexibility you can make it work in your favor and in mm. their favor but it works for, for him and the organization as well right because you're totally committed to absolutely i went above and beyond yeah. i mean i'm now full-time but I slowly transitioned from, I think it was two days a week to three days a week to four days a week, four and a half days a week, and then it was full time. <laughs> so it just was a gradual progression, but it worked. And, you know, we've done the same with other members of staff and it, it does work. But you're seeing, you know, a new wave of talent coming through the industry where people expect flexible working now. Mm. It's more, you know, it's more common across most agencies. But in reality, does it actually work like that? You know, you've got to make sure it does. Yeah. I think I struggled to start with because I just couldn't ever switch off and I was finding myself on emails all days of the week. But yeah, it, it really has like worked. My, my out of office today, I was in an all-day meeting and my out of office said something like, um, let's be honest, I'll be checking my emails throughout <laughs> the day. If it's yeah. really urgent, I'll get back to you. Yeah. Because we're always on. Even if we're sat listening to somebody else's presentation you're still checking it out absolutely you? absolutely and you know what we shouldn't be that's the sad part like we shouldn't be but we just we just do, do. yeah so tell us a bit more about three-sided cube but you, you know you, you kind of touched it <clears throat> touched on it a little bit there but you went through working with more traditional agencies yeah. to what i probably can describe based on our conversation before we started <laughs> not a traditional agency but they do a lot to do more good basically yeah, absolutely that's kind of part of their ethos tell us about that absolutely so our mission at three-sided cube is to build technology for good so what we mean by that is we'll only work on life-saving life-changing or problem alleviating type projects and that's exclusive we don't compromise we turn down around 70 80 percent of the leads that come into the agency because it doesn't fit with our mission so you know we've got a team of around 32 average age of 28 the most compelling reason for the team to work at an agency or an organization is the mission, okay? And if we can ensure that they're working on amazing projects with potential for huge impact, that's what excites them. That's what gets them out of bed. So I quite like that. So you're turning down 70% of yeah. the jobs that come I, in. It's, it's really it horrible like to say out loud. It business is. model. It, yeah. But yeah. on the flip side, the people that you've got working for you, therefore are hugely enthused by your mission yeah. and actually there's a bit of kudos to actually getting the job in the door yeah absolutely absolutely so gosh whenever I hear that number it haunts me but it's true and I then have my head on a stick if I brought in a project that just was tech oil company like well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly like there's just no point and it would be painful they wouldn't produce the best work we get a bad reputation that's just not what we're in it for like we want to have positive social impact and that's literally every everyone buys into that mission and you create exclusivity around working with you guys you're you're the people to work with and yeah, yeah. i mean it's more of a, it's more of a trend now and that's a good thing so we're seeing more agencies transition into the tech for good space and i'm hugely excited by that because the more people doing that the better mm. but i think i you have to stay true to your mission so if that isn't your mission and your yeah. mission is around just revenue or no, like anything like that, then it's a you're in a dangerous 
territory. But we're not motivated by money. We're motivated by impact. And that speaks for you. Like, come to the office. You'll see. You'll meet the team. Speak to our clients. I was going to say, like, how, how, how does that... I mean, you, t- you touched on Duncan being the, the, founder. the founder. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So how, how did he, he sell it to you in the first place about this is something different Honestly, to what you've been you know what? talking it, about? The 370 Cube started out as a lifestyle business. So okay. it was, I think, three, four people by the time I joined... And what really, really excited me was the people. So before I joined, I dunk it, I'm quite fussy, and I asked to interview the team because I wanted, to, like, I work for people. I don't work for anything else. And he let me go in and interview the team, and I spent a day with. So this was your interview, and the, you yeah, flipped it on them and said, actually, yeah, I like, <laughs> I want to come, yeah, wow, and. Yes. I got. I was really lucky. I got to interview like the guys, and it was all guys. And there was one girl, Sophie, that worked there. And I just knew from about five minutes in, they were incredibly talented, and that just really excited me. It, like ignited something. And I think at that stage in the business, they were they were still evolving. So they were a startup. They had they were working with British Red Cross, American Red Cross. They were working with some amazing clients, but we hadn't really defined what the mission for the agency was at that point. And after kind of a lot of work that we'd done, we were all pretty clear on the fact that we all enjoy working on these kind of projects. So we just need to be more vocal about the fact that that's our mission. So it was coined around the time that I joined, and then we've just kind of owned that space ever since. Well, like, yeah, I guess. Every agency, I used to work for an agency, every yeah. agency will say, oh, God, yeah, we're not in it for the money. We, we, yeah, that's not what motivates us. It's all about X, Y, Z. Yeah. Whereas actually you're living that by yeah. turning down <laughs> 70% of yeah. your and funds. You know, you're, I'll never forget. So Lloyds Bank, they came to us and they were like, so rewinding, we'd done a lot of work around wearables. So Apple, Apple Watch at the time when it was launched. Lloyds Bank approached us and they were like, oh, we can see that you've done some work with Apple. Like, we'd really like to work with you. And I was like, oh, not sure we're going to want to work with you. I don't think there's going to be a fit here. And honestly, I had to say no about 20 times. And then eventually they found a tech for good project that they were like, look, if it could be around health and well-being with wearables, would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And there was no pitch or procurement process there. It was like, cool, we want to work with you. And how, how, does, how does that, what does that do to the culture then in terms of kind of the staff members in there and the, the, the talent that you attract in terms of your ethos? I mean, I, as we were talking about before, it comes across in your website. It comes across in everything that you do. Your mission-led kind yeah. of business is, is, is very clear. But what does that do to the staff and the culture? Why do people come and work for you? So, and it, purely for the mission. So uh, there was a an industry-wide survey done a couple of years ago around like the motivating factors for developers and we recruit quite a few developers and one of the biggest reasons why people do what they do is the types of projects they work on Mm. and we're crystal clear with the fact that it is only tech for good Um, so people do get a choice in that we can't offer a six-figure salary Uh, we just we can't we recognize that we can't compete with the likes of Google and Apple, but what we can offer is a choice of the projects that you work on and an amazingly talented team, and we will support and nurture that 
And are you quite ruthless in your recruitment as well? Are you looking yeah. for the right sort of people to fit that model? Absolutely, absolutely. So I'd say quite a lot of our recruitment's focused around the values. You need to live and breathe the values of Three Sided Cube. And then we can train and nurture the talent and that's fairly easy to do but I think ultimately you have to be really ambitious and you have to want you have to be driven you have to want to make a difference and be good at what you do and that's why we've recently started Cube Academy so we're training the next generation of talent coming into the industry so we have an intake every quarter we have between 8 and 12 people that come in every quarter and they're the best of the best um, of in like where we are love it it's like Top Gun it, it's, it's very <laughs> yeah. competitive very competitive but they have to be good and they have to challenge us um, and I think to interview you yeah. they flip it on you that's yeah. like the, the way in <laughs> Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you kind of touched on this already, but obviously your social good ethos is obviously a focus for Three Sider Cube. And, and you really kind of see yourselves as, as specialists in this area. <laughs> what problem are you often asked to solve for one of your charities? Do you clients? know what? I was thinking about this question and I wish I could give you a problem. But most often the, the phrase I hear is, we need an app. Really? And I need it to make money. And I'm like, wow, do you need an app? Like, really? Do you know what an app is? Well, it's kind of like, I just, it, there's a big education piece that needs to be done on technology. Okay. And I think people often think they see a, like a, and it's not so, so new anymore, but they see an opportunity to have a new channel or, and it's going to make money for them. And it's like, well, nope. Let's work out what value we can offer to the end users first. And then if you're offering value, people will pay for that. And that's fine. But you have to kind of prove yourselves first before you go in there and, and do that. And quite often we will turn people down. If, if their brief is, we need an app and it needs to make money, I'm not sure we're the best partners. Because that's not how you should be going into, into, a, into a brief, if you like. Um, and I think the challenge that we have is really getting to understand the problems and the challenges the organization or the business faces. And, you know, getting people to be transparent with problems is hard. It's hard. It's really hard. But you have done that, though, haven't you? You have created apps that make money. So you yeah, have we, solved that problem. We have, you? but we didn't go in with that being that the solution. That wasn't the objective. So I guess one of the most successful case studies is Blood Donor for the American Red Cross. What, what that app does is people can sign up to book a, a blood donation appointment. And then what we do is we surface the impact that that individual is having. So obviously we get them to the appointment. There's push notifications, reminders, what have you. But we track where their blood goes and what hospital it ends up in. And then how many people's lives you save as a result of your blood donation. I'll tell you what, um, there's a guy in my team who gives blood regularly. Yep. His name's Henry. He's a bit of a hero. And uh, he loves the fact that he gets texts, just texts. Yep to say your blood's been used in whatever hospital, in whatever area. If you can grow that, oh my exactly. God, he loves that. Exactly. It's and a text, it's nothing. A, it's, but it's surfacing the impact. It's just understanding that you've made a difference. Yeah. And it sounds so simple when you say it out loud, but when we did it, I think the app's probably about seven years old now. When we did it, it was just so ahead of its time. And now it's the most popular way to sign up to donate blood in the US with wow. the American Red Cross. Like, mm. it's just blown up. But, it's a it's a revenue stream for the American Red Cross. You know, for every blood donation they make, they can I think claim up to one hundred and fifty dollars. So, it's a very big revenue stream for them. And I think at the moment we're booking around one hundred thousand appointments a month. So, it's huge. But you're right. Looking at it from the from the donor's point of view, what would, what do they want from this rather than yeah, generating cash? Actually, what's a good experience for them? 
absolutely, absolutely. And I think what the what Three Sunny Cube are really good at is understand basically getting the right balance between a user's wants and needs mm. and, an, and an organization's wants and needs and I think you have to get the right balance because if you don't it just won't work it just won't fly with users like real estate space on a mobile phone is in high demand yeah of course you need to add value to someone and if you don't it's cutthroat they will delete your app and you will never get a chance again to have real estate space on the phone like that real estate space on a mobile <laughs> phone I'm going to use that in a meeting next oh, week oh god yeah. I don't know, I don't know <laughs> how I'm going to get it in but I just will <laughs> Other, uh, are there other projects that you've worked on that really stand out as your favourites that you've I think so Blood Zona being one of them the other one would be around disaster preparedness so we have a platform out there with apps in over 100 countries and over 55 different languages and essentially what that platform does through apps is it warns people about a natural disaster and it tells them what to do and where to go so we're serving life-saving information right at the very time that it's happening and interestingly that was one of the first apps we started with for the American Red Cross and we knew that there was a hurricane coming um, and we had about six weeks to put an app together that would serve out a notification to tell you you're in trouble like you need to go you're working against a deadline that is a hurricane and we we knew it was coming it was hurricane season and yeah we had six weeks to build that in like when we launched I think we launched on like a Friday hurricanes always seem to come over a weekend like it's always a thing and I think we were number two in the download charts behind YouTube. Wow. Like, it just blew up. And then post that, I think we've got a suite of about 12 apps now in the US alone. And we do all kinds of natural disasters. I remember being in a, in a hurricane once in the States and I just downloaded YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. Yeah, As you do. Watch a couple of videos. But, I, you know, yeah. knowing, I think for the team, it's knowing that they're working on life-saving apps. Yeah, like that must new be. New technology... D- delivering life-saving information that's what gets them out of bed so if there's someone thinking if there's someone listening now and 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 they've been to their director and <laughs> they've basically come to the conclusion that they need an app and right. this probably happens quite a lot i'm yeah. not sure so, uh, you know we were talking earlier about my previous experience and i remember people going oh yeah we definitely need an app we need an app we need an app that's all you hear right mm-hmm. but what would you say that people need to do to really think about whether an app is the right solution to their problem so do you know what people need to do i think really you need to gather the problems and the challenges that your team or organization face and then go and go to the experts be it external agencies external organizations whoever they might be and work with them to work out the best tech the best solution to deliver that great if it's technology sometimes it's not always technology and actually you might revert to paper or something else but work with experts in that field who can really guide you in terms of what the best solution solution is sometimes it isn't an app sometimes it isn't a website sometimes we overcomplicate things just, ha- just having an app because everyone else has got it's an app. not it's that's not, not it's not a strong enough reason, reason and quite often it, people that do that will fail and again it's just coming back to that what is your measure of success don't let it be download numbers it should be engagement and if it's around revenue or something else, fine. But be clear and be clear right from the very start. What's our measure of success, James? Because it's certainly not download numbers. <laughs> reaching, reaching 36 Twitter followers is me. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Engagement, 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 right? That's, that's it. And, and we wanted to talk to you about a couple of topics that we've kind of, we've been picking up on the digital technology trail. Obviously, Ooh. James and, and myself 
cutting edge. <laughs> we're at the cutting yeah. edge. We've just about figured out podcasts and Twitter. But we're hearing a lot more about things such as ethical design mm-hmm. was one of the things that kind of came out, particularly when it comes to kind of new products and new services. Can you, can you kind of explain to us in lay terms what, what ethical design is, is all about and, and, and what role it kind of plays in in the work of charities yeah absolutely absolutely so if i had to kind of like pinpoint or highlight a key phrase i'd say it's working hard to design great products alongside your beliefs so really you can design amazing products right you can design an amazing solution to deliver your objectives but you need to do that in an ethical way that resides well with your organization and your business and your conscience we're seeing quite or with there's been quite a trend of large organizations implementing what we would call dark patterns things like the infinite scroll um hiding buttons and yeah you're the fact that it's called dark patterns immediately it's makes a, me think thing. It's a bad thing it's, it, it, it is a bad thing i thought that's what you have in your underpants <laughs> it is a bad thing you know there are there are large companies large organizations no names but that will design things in a way so that you lose yourselves in your mobile phone and in that p- particular piece of software. And we've Real all done space it. space on a mobile phone is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, I ju- you know, we've all done it. I don't know how you guys feel about social media. Do you use social media? Yeah, we, we've had a we've had a, a, a podcast episode where we got a, actually a girl from an agency and a, a consultant from in the sector. Uh, and one of the things that Bertie said, who was the consultant, was that he believed facebook wouldn't necessarily be able to get through a board of trustees in a charity nowadays i would 100 percent agree with that you know which i think yeah you know when you hear it from that direction a, a company that's essentially mined data has you know influenced yeah. political campaigns and billions and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I think, you know, we're certainly getting more conscious of it. Yeah, and I, I think it's not until you really look under the hood and you see some of the tactics that they use to design this software that you become more aware and just like, I'm scared by it. Like, isn't, isn't that way, just to play the devil's advocate a bit though, isn't that, isn't that basically what TV was 35 years ago? Do you know, uh, they, 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 they applied... <laughs> tactics that made us kind of watch the ads that that made us hooked in that state you know absolutely same thing. absolutely so i think there was a there's a famous phrase you know when when the guy that designed the ship designed the ship he also designed the shipwreck when the plane was invented he also designed the plane crash like mm. to everyone like when you hear any technology people get so excited about the benefits but people don't they don't they're not quick to think about what drawbacks that could bring and what mm. dangers that could mm. bring to society. Is that part of your process when you're absolutely, talking to Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And we will always make our clients aware of what we deem ethical design. And if client, nine times out of 10, clients will go with it and they'll understand why we don't advocate, you know, promoting dark patterns in your app or website or whatever. But that doesn't necessarily mean that an organization will say, yeah, I agree. They'll sometimes they might challenge and be like, no, we want that because we want people spending longer because their KPI is around engagement. And it's yes. like, wow, that's something that we need to discuss because we can't promote, like, that's just not, it doesn't sit well with us. And I think like all these things, you've got to, with any agency client relationship, you've got to be really transparent and honest. Yeah. And we're honest right from the very start. So we say, 
let's say you, it starts with the pitch process. You go in and you'll pitch some concepts, some ideas, but we'll pull out dark patterns and we'll say we categorically won't do this. Doesn't sit well with this, but we'll we'll call it out and we'll make them are aware they kind of, of it. Are there, is it a very much a grey area, or are there things that you just won't won't it's, do? To be honest, it's a grey area. Yeah. You have to take each each case differently right now we know that there are things like the infinite scroll hiding buttons to cancel a subscription or like a donation we just won't we won't do that but you know there are just there are always odd cases but it's just up for discussion and just having that honest conversation uh, with the client around that and and what that would mean for them as well because you need to think about the publicity that that could generate if someone does put that out there and say look you are promoting dark patterns in your app i don't think a charity would want to be associated with that how do you how do you guys ensure that you keep within the i mean and, and what we're talking about here i guess is is relatively new in terms of technology and, and approaches uh, and, and maybe legislation and yep. regulation hasn't caught up as fast as the technology in these mm-hmm. cases how do you guys as an organization keep on top of that to make sure that you're not only obviously considering legislation and regulation but you're also ahead of that in terms of this is this is our stance so honestly we have a fabulous team that are just so engaged i think ethical design um has been a hot topic for our team for the past couple of years so this isn't new to, to new to the team and if you go to our blog go to like speak to any of our clients it's been a topic of conversation for a long time so really we have the best people that are up to speed with what's going on legislation like obviously we have best practice uh, the process that we go through helps us kind of keep up to speed with that but ultimately you need to have people that care that really care about this kind of stuff and have and values right absolutely yeah. absolutely um, and they do and that comes back to that recruitment process you need to make sure the people that you're getting within your team share the same values as your agency and your clients okay so we talked about trends that are um maybe trends we don't want to follow <laughs> are there trends out there that you are identifying at the moment on working with charities are there things that that are growing at the moment and things that people should be jumping on I mean obviously <laughs> Kenneth and I are all about the audio mainly the audio we, have, we very much have faces for radio but are there things out there that, that people absolutely, should be jumping on absolutely so voice is a very hot topic and it has been for a while I think we're still in the early stages of voice so the adoption rates are increasing I think now there's probably around 100,000 skills in the in the like voice stores if you like if you think what 10 years ago when the app store was new and the types of apps that existed the use cases probably weren't there like 10 years ago um, you had novelty apps like the far, you remember the fart app where you would like <laughs> still James's favourite <laughs> <laughs> you're all real estate on my phone <laughs> I've downloaded it three times <laughs> 10 years ago um, and I always remember I think it was like a Carlsberg drinking app which showed that, like a pie and oh, yes, do you remember that, that? Yeah, okay yeah, yeah. cool yeah, yeah, yeah. so if you look at the types of voice skills that are out there at the moment you're still at the very early stages novelty. it's very it is novelty mm. um, I'm not sure we've cracked the best use cases for voice mm. but it is a thing it's coming and we're just waiting for the adoption to reach the masses which it's slowly getting there yeah. I know there's this famous stat that's banded about I think by Comscore that says what 50% of all searches will be by voice by 2020 which is actually incorrect it's going to be around 35% but heard it here first yeah heard it here first but it's you know it is going to be a thing I think some of the charities that are um, 
that are the early adopters that have got they've gone in for raising money so you've got doctors without borders in the us they were one of the first charities on board and then over here you had british heart foundation as one of the first charities again around donations yeah. and i think booking people to come around and move furniture which was a really interesting use case but you're starting to see some better, stronger use cases. So I think, is it Wiz? Um, they've done a lot of work with Transport for London around getting uh, people with accessibility issues navigating around London, but through voice, which is really exciting. Mm. Um, but I think we're still at the very early stages. But yeah. and, then, and that's just going to grow. It's so what, quite was, what was the stat? 35% of all searches will, will be, be by, by voice, voice by... by next year, 2020. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's big. There's a lot of talk going on about it, right? So I mean, when, when how, everyone's got an Alexa now. A- absolutely. Everyone's and got I, a voice recognition device. But it's your phone. If you think about it, mm. so many people have a phone now. And we've, also, we've all asked Google or Siri something on our phone. But I, you know, I use, uh, I, I use Alexa in my home predominantly around cooking. So anything in my kitchen oh. is great. Yeah, but have you, how old are your children? I'm not sure. But my, my <laughs> kids have found... Titty Titty Bum Bum on Spotify, <laughs> which seems to be getting a lot kids of... Uh, have, have they? I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're, getting, kids. they're getting a kickback. You know, I might start one on uh, Spotify. <laughs> just, you know, find these little... The royalties on some oh of those no, songs the little, incredible. Just constantly. Yeah. Alexa, play Titty... Yeah, anyway. But, well, it's um, an interesting point. So I've got a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, you know, I'd say about a year ago, we were, at, we were at a zoo and it started to rain and my daughter shouted out, Alexa, stop raining. <laughs> like, that's... Scary. I wish. I wish. I wish. But you can certainly <laughs> see that there'll be practical applications of, of voice in the future. But like you were saying, if, for, for me, it doesn't feel like I've seen that one killer app. Like Absolutely. you know, we had those killer apps back in the day when the mobile device came out, and it was it was maps or it was it was train timetables. It was all those kind of high usage apps mm-hmm. that kind of but haven't necessarily seen that on on voice as yet yeah and i think it's it it will come it it's will come de- yeah absolutely yeah. it will come but we're still we're still in the early stages but it's one to watch closely it is nice to see quite a few charities kind of uh, try and get into that um and i think this year there's been a real catalyst around voice for charities yeah. but the way i like to talk about voice is do you remember when you used to use a mouse with your computer Mm. And then it all became about touch screen. So you would use your finger and now it's around voice. So it's the way that you're interacting with technology. And there's been a, and it's, I think more probably for the commercial world than the than the third sector, but there's a growing trend around omni-channel solutions. So like a shared state with whatever device you're on, whether or not yeah. you're speaking to Alexa, whether or not you're using your phone, whether or not you're using a laptop or a desktop computer, a user is now expecting to have a shared state across any device. It doesn't matter what device, you shouldn't have to log in on your Alexa and then your phone. You expect when you log in on one device, you log in across all devices yeah. and you're in this that point of a journey whatever you're doing makes sense can i just uh, just a question off the off the back of that is a kind of around in innovation teams here and i know that we've seen a bit of an increasing trend in innovation teams especially amongst the big guys and, and realistically i mean i'm i'm sure there is smaller charities that are looking at technology and hopefully one of them is one of the champions of something like boys yeah. but going back to your 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 business at, at three-sided cube do you tend to kind of get most of your conversations with a charity through the innovations team or do they come through other other areas of organizations i'd say it's an even split so 50 percent through innovation teams 50 percent through more probably marketing channels if i'm honest with you so 
historically, I think people have used technology as more of a as a PR generator. They're trying to be the first to do something, or they. It's more of a, it's that novelty thing. Um, I think we've become quite wary of that now, and I think if you if there are innovation teams, then that's great. But they're they're more grounded. They understand how it works, and they understand that there needs to be a really strong use case for the end user. It needs to add value to the end user. So I think we've kind of evolved to working with more innovation teams. But you know what? Quite often the pe and it just comes back to. Charities are quite risk averse. And I don't think you can be when you're working with technology. You certainly need to be be up for taking risks. And I think innovation teams are still probably quite risk averse. So do innovation teams come to you and say, this is our problem and this is how we think we're going to solve it? Or do they come to you with, this is our problem? No, this there'll always be a. This is how we think I we guess can that's solve why it. Why have been employed is to come up absolutely, with absolutely, and that's good that some thinking's been done up front, and that's awesome. But quite, and I'm not going to mention any names, but quite often people um, like they engineer a solution which actually doesn't isn't the best solution for the problem that they're trying to solve. They're just trying to get in because it is a new channel. It's something that they sh- they think mm. they should be doing. Um, okay. So that's always an interesting one, and I think as part like we have three being the magic number, you have three stages to any kind of project. You have that discovering to find stage up front to really understand and challenge what the problem is you're trying to solve, what the measure of success is, um, so that everyone has that shared understanding, everyone is clear, and then we can evolve the solution together. Whether it is an app or a website, whatever it is, we'll work with budget constraints. But ultimately, you, there needs to be a bit of digging up front, and that discovery and define session is crucial, I think, for any. I just, I just want to pick up on one point you mentioned there about risk. Yeah. And about when you're when you're talking to a, a potential new client or a big organisation about risk, and you may be talking to the innovation team, and they've come to you with a great idea, and you came with a solution, but there's risk involved. How do you help them? mitigate that risk through the organization because the innovation team is probably that's almost part of their job is 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 managing the risk and 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 and, you know they're expected to take a few risks but of course when it comes to signing off budget to potentially develop an app or or launch a new campaign they need help that there are certain processes that you can go through to help mitigate risk and i think that discover and define piece doing that at the start of every project will really help reduce the risk on a project development okay isn't cheap no matter what route you go whether you're outsourcing it to another country whether you're doing it here in the uk an internal team external whatever it's still an expensive exercise to go through it's like building a house right you wouldn't go off and start building a house without the plans, right? You need those blueprints. You need Again, the. <laughs> <lost one. laughs> it's more of an igloo, isn't it? Uh, a bit of a mistake. But you, but you, you know, you do need those blueprints. You need the plans, and that's what that discover and define process is all about. And that's how we help clients mitigate that risk. But I think there's that education piece for the third sector for people that aren't used to working with technology you need to make sure that they're familiar with that process and it's a proven process so I always say go and speak to existing clients go and speak to people that have been through projects like this because with the best will in the world you can enter a project and you think that you've caught everything but you can always be thrown a curveball at the 11th hour and I think as long as you've got that good open honest transparent relationship with your clients you can get through that but don't ever go in naively thinking that you're not going to get thrown a curveball okay 
So the kind of acknowledgement of risk is a big thing for you. Are there other changes you would like to see in the charity sector uh, <laughs> people working with you? I think ultimately the risk thing I, I struggle with sometimes. I think it's very well me sitting on the other side of the table and saying you you need to be less risk averse you need to take more risks that's easy it's donors money essentially right absolutely you want them to be absolutely calculated risk but you know what failure isn't always bad if you're learning from failure and you inject those learnings into something else great very on trend at the moment right (laughs) the first time in my career it's okay to fail so suddenly I'm fitting in (laughs) (laughs) I'm flying at the moment yeah yeah (laughs) Bit of a trend. I think as well, just utilising fresh talent. So getting younger people into the sector and nurturing that talent. I'd like to see more of in the third sector. I know it does happen, but I'd like to see more of that happen. You know, we do it at Three Sided Cubes ourselves. We've got an average age of 28. Our youngest is 20. And that's really quite young. But these people are manning platforms 24-7 for global brands like they're capable you've got your academy as well you're bringing exactly exactly so i think that and i think the chat the sector is quite they collab they talk and they share learnings and insights but i think with technology you're going to need to see more collaboration people pooling budgets together and working on tech projects together Mm -hmm. i think that is going to need to happen yeah because it's it's expensive you can share those learnings i'm starting to see that more now but it, not to the extent we need it's, it to happen, I think. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, pull, pulling up from a, an episode a few weeks ago with Joe, and he, one of his key messages was all around collaboration, yeah. and it's certainly something... Yeah, and, and we often champion ourselves within the sector as being quite collaborative. Uh, maybe we're not... When it comes to, to column inches and being the first, maybe you know we'll share on some things, but we're not going to tell you about what we're doing mm. with drones. Uh, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, put that down. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, you know, I, I out of all the sectors, it is like everyone talks, everyone's really friendly, they share learnings, and they do work together. But when it comes down to budgets and sharing budgets, and like you say, being the first, that, that PR value behind yeah. it, it's quite, it can be quite competitive. Yeah, we have, we never share the podcast budget with anyone, do we? <laughs> <laughs> no. Firmly to ourselves. Eight pounds, 25 pence of it. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So just, just, just kind of trying to kind of wrap it up a bit and I, I guess putting you on the spot a little bit oh gosh you know you, you do come here from a from a one of the leading creative agencies <laughs> that's working on some really <laughs> innovative stuff so what role do you see technology playing in the future of charities and the social good sector it will play a crucial role so we're seeing most charities embrace digital now mm. and you know we were talking earlier about digital transformation it shouldn't even be a phrase that I'm hearing now. Like that needs a rebrand. It, that uh, needs a PR, a PR exec to come in and do something with it. Exactly, it? it absolutely does. Yeah. Um, people use technology in their daily lives. You need to embrace it. You need to be doing something, and you need to be trying new technology. Like we can't get rid of it if we even tried now. It's just but called life. It well, it is. Isn't if, it? If you think about how often yeah. you're in. Like you're engaging with technology. I think you'd scare yourself if you wrote down every instance where you're interacting. How many times you picked oh up your phone God, today? Don't, isn't it? It's, it's quite scary when you get that report, isn't it, from the iPhone when it shows you usage how long reports. Yeah. usage report. Um, so what do they yeah. say on average? People are spending around three, four hours a day on their phone at least now. Mm. I mean, that's your phone. What about your laptop or your your computer, your TV, mm. any wearable devices? It, like it all adds up. 
Although my friend didn't realise that it also sto- stores which websites you visit <laughs> most frequently. <laughs> and you showed me on the train the other week. That was a little bit embarrassing. Anyway, <laughs> that's the story for the, the late night edition. Uh, but no, you're right. I think you're right. It's, it's, it's just becoming so ingrained in, in overall culture, in, in, in life in general, that it's... Yeah. But then there's got to be the certain point. Hasn't, hasn't there got to be a point where we kind of say, okay, that's enough? Do you know what I mean? Like, if we're talking 15, 20 years in the future, and I know we're all scared, and we didn't really touch on AI today, but we're all almost scared of the, the Terminator 2 era coming out where we're controlled by robots and, you know... It's going to blow our, our listeners' minds when it turns out that I'm a bot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wait for that reveal. Exactly. But yeah. it's like, you know... But we have to be... I guess the ethical element comes a- into it. Absolutely. So, you know, we didn't touch on AI, but just thinking about AI now, like, AI is really good for crunching large amounts of data and... I think, you know, we've got a case study at the moment with Lush, the cosmetics yep. brand, very ethical uh, company. And we have a thing at Three Sided Cube called Free-ish Time, where once every six weeks, every single member of the production team get to work on a project of their own choice for a whole week. We have to put some rails on it. It has to have some kind of positive social impact. And they have to present their learnings back at the end of the week to the whole team, four o'clock on a Friday, cool. do a presentation on it. And one of the guys, uh, one of our Android developers, he created a product called Simi, and essentially it was an app that used object recognition and voice to, t- uh, to help people with visual impairments to tell them what they were seeing. So you'd hold the phone up and you'd be like, that's a laptop or that's a, a glass of beer. And <laughs> Lem- lemonade. <laughs> and um, it became, it was such a success. I think we wrote a blog about it and Lush got wind of it and were like, hey, can we repurpose this technology? And I was like, well, you could, but what do you want to use it for? And they were like, well, we want to have packaging free stores. And I was like, absolutely, you could repurpose this. Yeah. In 10 days, we managed to work with them to, to release an app. Uh, I think it went out to their pop-up store in Milan that basically meant that they could do the first packaging free store. And so it's called a naked Lush store. Um, and it was so successful, I think they kept it open for the rest of the summer. And now that's grown. Um, and, and this all came AI. from one of your absolutely freeish time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. His freeish time project. Who is this hero? Nikos. I love Nikos. him. He's amazing. Oh, he is a legend. a legend. But it's just it's amazing things can come from this technology. But yeah. it is that whole thing of everyone's quick to think about the positive things. Yeah but you forget about the negative things. Coming back to that, when you invent the plane, you invent the plane wreck. Soap yeah. crash. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there, right? Whoa. Naked. <laughs> soap crash. Sorry. Never told anyone about that, but that was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> That's really interesting. Thank you so much for coming, Puff. We really do appreciate your, your thoughts and stuff. We've yeah. got uh, a few questions, but before we kind of get into there, is there any kind of final thoughts or any things that you've seen recently that you'd, you'd like to share uh, or so talk about? The only thing I'd like to add is just, I think technology can be really overwhelming at times. You know, I'm not an expert in everything. I can't be. It would be impossible to be. But there is a series of events called Unscrambled, where we look to unscramble the latest tech trends. And we demystify them. And we talk about good case studies, bad case studies, and share the learnings and insights. Uh, We do that ourselves at Three Sided Cube with a guy called Brian Miller, who's amazing. And we're looking to do or to roll out a masterclass at the International Fundraising Congress out in Amsterdam in October. So, yeah, if anyone wants more information about that, I'm more than happy to uh, share that. Shameless plug. No, you're allowed that. Thank you so much for giving up your time. (laughs) Right, we're going to go into uh, quickfire summary questions. 
We need a little jingle at this point, James. Why have you not got a little jingle? Yeah, it's a Nikos. Oh, yeah. Nikos will pull something together. Okay, so first one, if you could place an ad across Facebook, across the entire world, for one day, 24 hours, what would it say and why? Delete your Facebook account. Oh! Controversial, right? Controversial. Ah, Have you deleted your Facebook account? Uh, I don't use it. It's not deleted, though. Oh, she hasn't deleted it. Practice what you preach and all that. Interestingly, I'm not on Instagram. I... Social media is so addictive, and I think I noticed I had a problem a few years ago, which is why I'm not as big on social media now. Mm. Um, but I just I don't think people realise how much time they yeah, spend on I social media. Right. It's interesting that you address that as having a problem with it. Yeah, I absolutely did. I yeah. was ignoring my kids. I was not speaking to my husband. I was not having conversations. But give them a social media account, then you can keep up with them. Oh, my, wa- my wife's deleted her Facebook account two weeks ago now, actually. And um, how's she finding it? She's, I think, yeah, she seems to be doing pretty well she talks to me now you know she uh, we, we <laughs> talk to each other uh you know this has been a revolutionary uh wow. moment no i think oh, she was right, just yeah. getting the same thing she was just like you know constantly on there how much of this stuff is real you know how much stuff is it useful it's just it's not just, healthy oh, no. i mean we i've i think i still do it i'm guilty i'll get into bed and i've got my phone in my hand and i'm in bed with my husband not my poor husband but he does the same yeah. and it i was just getting like it's the dark patterns oh, the God. infinite scrolling yeah. You know, I just wanted more. Like I ju- it's Can bad. I make a confession now? Go. Oh, talking about late night phone activity in bed. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, this is next rated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to admit this on the podcast. So uh, my wife gets into bed. She reads her, her Kindle and she reads the books. I typically watch YouTube in bed. So I will catch up some some videos, some really inspiring TED Talks, and also the occasional course fishing video. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you like That's only this week. And are, you, are, you, are you a virtual fisher, fisherman? Well, or well, I, took my, I took my uh, my son for the first time at the weekend. And so this week I've been lying in bed at night and watching course fishing videos. Wow. Oh, so you've got all the techniques on tying well, Exactly, tying knots yeah. and putting floats in the right places. <laughs> I feel like you're using that for social good, though. So well, you're using exactly. that to bond with your son. Ex- that I think exa- like exactly. Okay. <laughs> Me good watching th- them. I don't, know why I'm, I don't know why I'm watching them. <laughs> no. Really. Why are you watching on YouTube? I don't really watch YouTube. I just download hurricane apps. <laughs> um, <laughs> stay on top of those where they're happening in the world. Do you just feel use lucky social media? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Not very yeah. well. <laughs> but use, uh, um, um, I probably use Twitter more than anything else. Yeah. Why Twitter? I'm not sure, really. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Facebook. Okay. For no reason other than I'd never have anything interesting in my life to put on it. So <laughs> I feel a little bit inadequate. But yeah, but I do like Twitter. But then I have deleted people who uh, were just making my life a misery. Um, I, li- I think I like Twitter just for a news feed yeah. element yeah, of it. Like, I think I it keeps me... I feel like it... Although I'm not sure about the latest algorithm where you can kind of show top versus new. Like, what is that doing? You know, why yeah. are they choosing what I see? I want to see the people I follow... I'm sure there'll be. You can set up. A, you can set up different searches though, so you can do um, course fishing and just look at, <laughs> just look at other people that well, are. That's all at I really fishing. want, to be honest, is p- pictures of big fish. Big fish that people have. Uh, <laughs> I know what uh, I'm going to be managed sending to you later. Catch. <laughs> yeah, jolly good. Um, so, um, what is the one piece of advice that you have been that you've uh, been given in your career that sticks with you? Ask for forgiveness, not permission. Yes. That's I used to have that printed on the back of my business cards when I worked at a design agency. I no longer work there, obviously. <laughs> um, I used to have that printed on the back of a business card. I love it. That yeah. is a good one. I, li- I like that. I think otherwise you're just never going to get anything done you're if not. I'm just waiting around for no. permission. So 
I think in technology, it's just quite a mantra and I love it. And it, it I, I preach it to anyone coming into Three Sided Cube. It's just a thing. And in a fast-paced environment, that's well, how you need to wasn't operate. Wasn't one of the big tech companies, and apologies for not knowing who this was, but wasn't one, was it Google, move fast and break things? Was it their mantra? Yeah, that just was to go gosh. and do stuff yeah. and just it's, disrupt yeah. and I mean, change I've, and learn and... Of course, it's it. not applicable if you want to rob a bank, is it? <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> Probably not. If all bank robbers out there, yeah. yeah you if, you're, if you're a bank, if you're a career free. bank rob- robber, yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably not worth yeah. worth listening to that one. But no, I think it's a good one. And so, as a podcast that focuses on people doing more good, what's that favourite story, app, inspiring individual <laughs> um, that you've seen or experienced on your journey? that is doing something good for others? I think it has to be a guy called Brian Boyle um, out in the States. Uh, so at the age of 18, I was talking to you about this earlier, the age of 18, he was um, involved in quite a serious car accident. This guy's also known as, I think, Ironheart now. Like, he's amazing. Um, and he had to have, I think it was around 36 blood transfusions. That is a much better nickname than the ones we <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, true. I quite like Puff. I'm, 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 I'm okay Puff with Puff. I was looking at Kenneth. Yeah, look at the soup, sorry. <laughs> well, soup is strong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ironheart. She was just in the middle of a great story and you just interrupted again. Um, yeah, so I, he was involved in a really bad car accident. Um, I think he had to have something like 36 blood transfusions, 13 plasma transfusions. And yeah, like he survived. He now runs like, is it Ultramans and triathlons? And like, he's like a superhero. And he basically has dedicated his life to raising money for the American Red Cross to help fund blood donation and the great work that that is done around blood donation. And Duncan, our founder, he met Brian at the White House and Brian was talking about all of the challenges around blood donation that the American Red Cross were facing. And as a result of that conversation, we put together a proactive business case to help the American Red Cross with those challenges and Blood Donor was born two years later. It's <laughs> pretty impressive, isn't it? True story, pretty. true story, yeah. Amazing. Also, you just casually bump into someone at the White House. Yeah. No, so <laughs> That's pretty well, cool. We were, so we were out there with the American Red Cross and we were talking about some of the work we were doing around disaster preparedness. And yeah, we'd been invited to the White House. And yeah, we met some amazing individuals. Could be the best one, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was really (laughs) a strong one. In terms of impact, in terms of impact, that sounds like. If you think now, it's like the app's one of the most popular ways to sign up to donate blood. And that's as a direct result of a conversation with Brian Boyle. He's an amazing, amazing individual. Shout out to Brian Boyle. Yeah. Well, look, Puff, I think we can. thought he had it. (laughs) (laughs) thought he had it. We had a few shout outs, but Brian definitely gets it. Puff, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's been really great to meet you. Love your energy. Love what you're doing. The organization sounds like it has a real strong ethos and, and, and lives its values, which is, is great to hear. If anyone wants to kind of reach out to you and is interested in finding out a little bit more, obviously they're not going to find you on <laughs> Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. But where, where would they say? LinkedIn? Uh, LinkedIn or puff at threesidedcube.com. Puff at threesidedcube. feel like being rejected by Puff with your idea. Yeah. <laughs> 70% of people are. They can get in touch that way. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank no you. No worries. Let's wrap it up there then. Nice one. Speak Martin. soon. Infinite scroll and uh, find some dark patterns to get this podcast <laughs> off the ground. Yeah. We'll, nice we'll, we'll keep working on it. Cheers, Cheers mate. Cheers, mate. Bye. So James just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? (laughs) 
anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth, at Do More Good Pod. Instagram, at Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi-channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website, domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 